0: All right, welcome. This is Dr. Chris, the Surgery Guy. I'm your host, Dr. Chris. Uh, we're here back this week. We had a little bit of a hiatus last week, a little bit of a scheduling conflict, but we're here now. I'm joined today uh, by Dr. Michael Murray, MD. He is a general surgeon and director of the Gastroesophageal Reflux Disease Center in North Northern Nevada Medical Center. And uh, he has been doing TIFs, not unlike myself, for about Ten years, so we're going to talk a little about that, a little bit about that, and then kind of some of the other things uh, that interest well me, as we've uh, talked about before. So, Dr. Murray, thanks for being on the show today, and uh, welcome.
1: Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. Cool.
0: Um, so, generally, when we start these, a uh, little bit of background for you, like what, uh, where'd you grow up, man?
1: I grew up uh, just north of Philadelphia, some oh. big suburbs out there, the East Coast. Uh, I did my training in Pennsylvania, both my uh, medical schools at Hahnemann, and then I did uh, my surgical training at Allegheny General in Pittsburgh. I practiced a little bit in Virginia, and then I made a big U-turn, ended up in Nevada. <laughs> just kind of a big, uh, big turn, right? So, I was in one of those practices where it was like you were never going to get to be the partner tractor. It was just yeah. too long for me. So, I'm kind of an independent guy. I like to run my own show. So, I headed out here. Figured I'd be here about two years, and 25 years later, I'm still here. Everything's been going well.
0: Wow, great, great. All right, so that's in uh, that's in Reno. Yes. Cool. I've been to Reno once. Uh, we flew in for a cousin's wedding that was actually up near Squaw Valley and sort of drove right through and out and then <laughs> just the airport kind of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, cool.
1: It's actually a beautiful area. So I mean, it's really oh, growing God, yeah. now. These old Californians are moving over. It's a small city, but it's really got great access like Tahoe and mountains and things. So I really like it.
0: I love Tahoe. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful places on the planet, especially when you're up. you ski? I'm assuming you ski.
1: You I do. Ski. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, right. yeah, when you're up there and you can see the lake, ugh, amazing. Uh-huh. All right. So, um, you have been doing reflux stuff for probably your whole career, but uh, transitioned over to doing a lot of TIFF, transoral, incisionless fund application about 10 years ago, about the same time I did, I think, right?
1: Exactly right. I was interested in it. Uh, you know, note surgery kind of had a little thing there like it was going to go that way and then they kind of realized how difficult it actually is but uh i've always been kind of a guy that liked technology and wanted to be on the edge and, and that's why sure. i like general surgery is always something new coming out yeah. uh, and interesting so I, I got into tiff in an early stage in their development
0: now did they come to you or did you seek them out
1: they came to me. I mean, I think I, I met their criteria. You had to have a uh, endoscopic skill set with a kind of a surgical mindset to do TIFF in early. Yep. Early part of it. And so, it, you know, initially, I mean, most of the, the tip stuff was really taken over by surgeons like you and I, right? Surgeons kind of took it off. Uh, and so now you see GI coming into it a lot kind of down the road. But I think this it was carried mostly by surgeons like you and myself for a long time.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, that initially it was much more about, you know, here's people that are already doing reflux surgery and believe in surgical cure for reflux, and uh, at the time, and still we fight that, but you know the GI guys just really didn't. Uh, they really sort of categorized more of a medical disease, and so yeah, I exactly. think that was it was a, it was a good approach uh, for the company for sure, and so. Um, So let me ask you this, how long using that old device did it take you to get to the point where you felt like this was a good idea?
1: (laughs) Wow! I mean, my first two, it was real close to just saying, this is crazy, this needs to iterate. Uh, They were hard. Um, I had another uh, surgeon being an endoscopist, and actually I had a partner for a long time that was the endoscopist during it. Uh, And so... I don't know what made me stick with it. I just really thought that, you know, this was a better idea. Nissen's were, no one wanted a Nissan, right? And uh, I think it was probably too much surgery. But uh, yeah, the device was very difficult to use. Uh, it was prone to failure, <laughs> you had to use one, you know, two devices, and you always, it's a big device, so you're a little bit scared about putting it in, so taking them out and putting them in made you nervous, but, um, the you patients, when well, you did, you select the right patients, they did well, though, so that's what kind of kept me going.
0: Exactly, Now, literally, that's exactly what it was. I think the first couple, the ones that took me like an hour and a half, hour, yeah. whatever, and, you know, the device was, the older device, uh, was a bit of a challenge. It, it's still working, it was still elegant, and I appreciated the engineering, but it was, it was tough, it was, it, was a, it was an ordeal. The learning curve for me was somewhere around 10, maybe 15, and then, mm-hmm. um, okay. but the patients did well, right? Just like you're saying, I mean, they did well, and so that kind of made me stick with it. And then, and then it was just a matter of, once you got to about learning curve 10, 15, but then like uh, a mastery, maybe around 30-ish, Maybe 40. And... Sorry. And, uh... It, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you play instruments, but, uh, and I, I don't play it, but my understanding is, you know, the oboe is in, impossible to learn, uh, but then you can make it sing, you know, and that, that's kind of that device. It was a little hard to use, but once you got it, uh, you know, there was, there was some elegance to it. There was, there was a dance, if you yeah, will, while, while you were doing I, it. I
1: almost, I was almost sad to see it go because I said, now anybody can do the thing when it, changed, it, had a, yeah. it just had a button in it and it fired those two pastors. And I was like, wow, anybody could do this now.
0: <laughs> I, I miss I miss some of it, yes, but yeah. as the device has gotten so much better, uh, you, you listen one of the big advantages. Obviously, now anyone can do it much easier and safer than what we were having to deal with with the initial device. And I love how you can get into the corners, right? I mean, that's yeah. the thing that you can do so much better with the newer device. So as as they keep engineering, and I and I've always been really, really impressed with their ability to listen to what we have to say. Um oh, yeah. they've they've come out to talk to you, I'm sure, where you know, they bring I've had the engineers come and say, like, okay, what do you think about this? And is this a good idea and that about it, you know? And so I really like the feedback that you're able to give to the company, and then it seems like they actually listen. So I, I really appreciate that.
1: I agree more with that. Yeah. Yeah, the engineers have been out to see me a couple of times especially when I'm having troubles just finding out what's going on with it so yeah. uh, but they've been They're excellent receptive. to talk to
0: so then um, so let me let me talk to you about like your workup of reflux because as yeah, I've met more and more people through the country and talked either at the uh, you know, seminars and meetings and whatnot. It's, it's interesting how different, different parts of the country can be. And you know, even in my own city in Dallas, where, you know, we have some people downtown that do things a certain way. And then I'm kind of more up north, and a little bit more suburban. You know, I tend to do things just a little bit differently. So if you have a patient that literally found you like on a website or Instagram or wherever, and they just come to your office and let's say their story is pretty decent for reflux, where do you start? What, what's your re- workup, man?
1: Yeah, so my go-to thing is you have to have a pH study. I mean, we know it's a spectrum disease, and I want to see where you are in the spectrum. I can I can learn a lot about you just by looking at a at a Bravo pH study and an endoscopy, right? So that's that's the that's the minimum you you have to do. You have to take a look see what they have, get them off their PPIs, which they're off and on. I mean, some people, I've seen a lot of people come to me with, they think it's reflux and you do a test on them, it's not reflux at all. And they've been on these medicines 20 years. Yeah, so so I'm kind of a more uh, aggressive workup. Uh, I do motility studies too, but I'll start out with the EGD and a Bravo. We just recently got an endo flip. I'll do an endo flip on them too, and take a look at their motility. You know, if they have pretty good motility on that endo flip, then I'm pretty good to go. I don't. I wouldn't do a high resolution manometry. Okay. So that I can pretty much get almost everything I need in one fell swoop. Which is kind of nice for the patient. So
0: yeah, so you're doing basically one sort of endoscopy, you put in the Bravo, um, you obviously you're doing EGDs and biopsies and whatever else you need to do based on that. And then you're doing the endo flip motility at the same time.
1: That's right. So I can assess how big the hottle hernia is, see if we're going to need a you know a C TIF or if they can get a straight TIF, which is fairly rare to get a straight TIF uh, patient. Um, I can take a look at their motility if they have their regular in grade contractions and it, you know looks like it's not super tight down there. Uh, if your you know distensibility index on your endo flip is you know better than two and it's looking pretty good. And like I said, I I don't need a high resolution manometer on those where it's looking pretty good um you have a hiatal hernia and your reflux study comes back pretty significant or greater acid exposure than six percent you're looking to get off those pills and <sighs> that's pretty much it i mean i think we can go forward from there
0: okay upper gi or no
1: uh, hardly ever. I sometimes I see a lot of gastroparesis. So if you do a upper endoscopy in my practice, I'll see someone. And you look at them, it doesn't look that bad, but their acid exposure on the Bravo is like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen percent. Often that's gastroparesis where really they're getting is this chronic backwash reflux. And so I'm really, I really start working that up a little bit more because that makes a difference uh, in some patients, uh, especially when you're going to get that first post-op period for six weeks that valve is kind of tight and they don't have the great ability to burp sometimes i'll uh, do a botox injection into the pylorus to try to ease that off for the first six weeks and things so okay
0: so no upper gi interesting okay um and then
1: um what are you going let me ask you what do you get an upper gi what are you looking for an upper gi
0: so i so I'm simple, right? Okay. <laughs> so I'm just a simple general surgeon. I, I say that all the time. So basically, I look at it like this. So I, I talk to the patient, and I, in my practice, I book at least 30 minutes for these patients, new patients, particularly someone that's not referred, like you know from a GI doc that's already gotten the workup, or you know something like that. But if it's just someone that came from the internet or whatever, and they've had nothing, um, I sit, and I talk to them. What are their symptoms? And I kind of, you know, I take them down this road, and I, you know, do you have bloating? Do you have, you know, I just kind of. Checking all these things off in my mind and then for the most part I think of the upper GI as a relatively inexpensive shotgun and so it's going to give us a lot of information not necessarily the best information about any one thing but it gives me a lot right so number one it tells me if this esophagus contracts grossly normally it's not the best test for that, of course. But if it, for the most part, peristalsis decently, I don't worry as much. Um, and then, you know, obviously we can see the reflux. And if it's a large hiatal hernia, we can see that. To a certain degree, as I've talked to some of the GI guys, I'm not the radiologist around here, if it doesn't really seem to be clearing the stomach very well, I can get at least a hint if there's some gastroparesis or if the stomach's really, really dilated. And so with that, Depending on what their story is and what their auxiliary symptoms might be, I kind of stop there to be completely honest. So if I've got like a 30 year old that's in pretty good health and just has reflux, right? And they just give me a great story about it. You know, it's really bad. It's worse after it's spicy. And sometimes it comes up the middle of my, you know, the back of my throat in the middle of the night. I kind of wake up with it occasionally and it's just kind of sounds like reflux, right? And I get that upper GI and it shows everything goes up to the, you know, the crike and everything else appears normal, I'll be honest with you, because the side effect profile of a TIF is so minimal, I have not experienced a huge downside in just going forward at that point, defining the reflux and then going forward. Now, as I'm talking to them, if they give me a whole bunch of bloating system symptoms, if they give me a whole lot of dysphagia symptoms, um, then we go a different route. Um, and then the other thing I do is, you know, I do hybrid, which, uh, I think you do as well. Right. Yes. So hybrid being for those that aren't in the know, uh, hybrid means that we're repairing a hiatal hernia at the same time that we do the transoral part. Um, and you know, the stages are kind of getting there, but I think that's going to show up to be, in my opinion, the gold standard. Cause like you, you sort of said it very quickly earlier, but really severe reflux in my opinion is often or mostly concomitant with the hiatal hernia. Uh, that needs repair. This is sort of my opinion. I think you sort of shared. I can
1: agree more. I can agree more with that. So, I mean,
0: if you don't repair and restore intra-abdominal esophageal length, frankly, anything you do is not going to have a long-term success rate, in my opinion. Uh, And so, I think we'll see that in the coming years. So, yeah, when when we identify that stuff, I kind of just go forward. And unless there's some reason to, uh, to go a different route or, and sometimes with older folks that do have, maybe they have tertiary contractions and they give me some dysphagia symptoms, then I'll be honest with you, then I separate the hybrid, right? So I'll do a hiatal hernia repair, okay, see how they do. And then sometimes that's all they need. You know, the original studies with hiatal hernia repairs, you know, fifty percent cure reflux. Well, it's not a bad dice flip. And uh, when they're eighty, like I see these patients all the time, bad reflux, tertiary contractions, you can tell their esophageal, you know their motility is gonna be poor, you've talked to them. I do one of the procedures, right? And then we see how they do. And then frequently we don't have to come back, or maybe we can tiff them again later, and then we wanna check their motility before we do that. So I kinda of, sort of stage everything. And I just, I guess, listen to the patient, which sounds weird, but uh, I've been pretty successful well,
1: with it. Especially, right? But I think that's a good approach is to listen to the patient, because like I said, you know, sometimes what they're talking about is, you know, not maybe guess with esophageal reflux, but it's esophageal, esophageal reflux, like they have accolades or other things. And upper jaw picked that up, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, so yeah,
0: I think of it as a screening and then sometimes the screenings enough uh, and then and then sometimes it's not so it's, it's a little bit different I I recognize it's out there I, my partner throws stones at it every now and then too uh, but you know. the other thing is it depends on how
1: much you trust your fluoro guy I mean radiology in in the last 20 years you know you're lucky to have a radiologist even in the room when they're doing a fluoro sometimes I'll do the same thing especially people like you're talking about with LPR where you see that reflux go all the way up to the cranks and you're working them up and you're not Finding out anything, everything looks pretty normal. I think upper GI in that situation and get those people to see if they will reflux that high and see if there's some helpyard there. I think is right. is a good idea. So it's definitely one of the uh, you know tools and armamentarium of working this up. And uh, oh, yes. I just gotten away from it because for me, you know, I just I got to see how much esophagitis you have oh, because yeah. I don't want to do it on you when you're really inflamed. How much gastritis? It makes a difference when you do an upper endo to see if there's food in the stomach and things. So oftentimes, uh, you know an upper GI, I think you can just get kind of full, say, yes, this will be fine. But as long as you're when you go to do the surgery, you talk to the patient and say we may not be able to do the TIF today. You know, absolutely. Yep. I mean, so you absolutely have to have that
0: conversation. It's happened thrice. <laughs>
1: um,
0: I, had a, I had a guy and actually this guy got scoped beforehand anyway. So he had gotten scoped by his GI doc, but he had a bad shoulder pain and he took like four weeks of 800 milligrams, TID ibuprofen. And his stomach was hamburger when I got in there. <laughs> um, but that was, that was a new finding. So, and, and, you know, and ironically he, uh, he did great with just the hernia repair. He did not, uh, uh he never, the uh, required tiff that I know of, but it's been a while. So I, like, I can't remember. So yeah, it it just shows it's interesting because I think, I think there's validity to almost every approach I've heard so far. Um, some of the university guys, they want everything that you can possibly do and they're doing that so they can get the data and we need that. We need that data. We need the pre and post data. Um, So, you know, we can start publishing this and then it becomes the gold standard and the thing that we need to do. And, you know, maybe we can stop having people on PPIs forever. Uh, So, yeah, we need that. Um, But out in the community, my thing has been just uh, patient fatigue. Right. It's, you know, you get patients that they want to do something they want. T V do better than they've been doing, but then you know, you start making them do all these things in between copays and deductibles and I, I hear you. I try to be as yeah. efficient as possible. But you know, in, in many ways you and I have sort of skinned the cat just differently. You know, you're doing basically the same thing. You're doing a bunch of things at, at one time now that we have new technology. Um, you know and exactly
1: so I'm using the technology to get to the kind of same place you are Yeah, uh, and you're right you have to make it easy for the patient this healthcare system is really difficult to navigate oh
0: yeah and
1: when you have GERD you're often seeing multiple practitioners between your family doctor a GI and maybe a surgeon an ENT and by the time they get to somebody that can fix it it's been such a you know long and miserable journey when you tell them you're going to do 10 more things they're, you're right they're like oh I can't do it no.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, analogous to uh, so cancer patients, right? Um, I have a relationship with a couple of the oncologists around here, and we've set up sort of a program where if they need, when they need their port, right, that we just schedule it. Right? Which sounds crazy. But after years and years of, they'd come into my office and they you know, they just got diagnosed with cancer. And now it's, you know, they say it's lung cancer, right? So they've they've been to the radiologist to get a biopsy with percutaneous thing. They went to some pulmonologist to see what their, you know, pulmonary function tests are doing. They've seen the oncologist, um, may or may not have seen a surgeon depending on if it's resectable or not. Um, may or may not have had surgery depending on if it's resectable or not. Then they've usually seen a radiation oncologist and and then depending on what chemotherapy agent, they might see a cardiologist uh, and other people. Now they're coming to me for a port and they're in the office going, we're not doing this today? Exactly. <laughs> really? I got to schedule it now? Uh. So yeah, they call for the port, we schedule it. There's, we have a couple sort of criteria that they do have to come in for, right? If they've got, I found, you know, big chest tumors. Uh, I like to see those before and kind of look at the x-ray and review the CT scan to make sure we're not going to have an issue. Um, and likewise, if they're on major blood thinners um, and uh, blah, blah, blah. I have to look at my criteria. But I kind of, over the years, created these couple little fallout points. If Let's let's talk. But for the most part, yeah, we just schedule a medium the day of surgery. and I, yeah, I,
1: re- I think more of that. We need more of that. I mean, there's like yeah. in colonoscopies, you can a direct access colonoscopy. You don't have to go see the guy, right? I just need a screening colonoscopy. You fill out a form and then they say, Yeah, you meet criteria and you take your prep and you show up. Right. And hopefully we can get to that way with some of these GERD workups as well. Oh, yeah, Make no, that'd be great. I, I've
0: been, I've wanted this and I've been pushing for it. It's so hard to sort of accomplish it because between either employed physicians or partnered physicians in large groups a complete GI center. Like my dream was, and maybe I need to sort of shift it a little bit, but that I would partner with a couple GI docs and we'd have like one location, you know, the institute, if you want to call it that. Um, and then, you know, you could come in, you'd see the GI doc, you know, maybe they get the scope that day. You know, maybe there's a radiology department that can get the RBGI that I care about. Um, and everything kind of gets done right then and there. And you see two doctors, right? Boom, boom. And you could have it all scheduled on one day, and then even if the patient has to go do more things after that, boy, they've gotten the sense that there's two doctors that are really caring about me and really taking my symptoms seriously. And yeah, and then they're having a conference about it. What is the best approach? And you're not just getting one brain, you're getting two. And the problem is, like between relationships and po- politics, you can't get that to happen. I wanted the hospital sponsor. Well, the hospital can't do it because then it becomes a self referral stark problem. Um, you know, and then you've got the, the GI docs that I'd like to partner with, but they're employed by a much larger group that doesn't necessarily support a small little side project. It's like, you just can't, sure. get, this has been like four years, I can't get it done.
1: You know, I, that's exactly, I tried the same thing myself, like eight years ago or something with this GI group in town, but mm-hmm. they, you know, they couldn't wrap their minds around a surgeon doing this, and it, was, it, it turns into these financial uh, disincentives to unify healthcare and make it better, and there's all these fences put in your way. And so I kind of went my own way. I so, said, "Well, I, you know, I can do my own endos, and you know, I can. If you can do a TIF, you do your own endos. You can follow them. You can do your own monometry." So I kind of developed the center. Uh, I was one of those guys involved. Uh, they see a lot of patients, but again, like we we're talking about before, if if you see this disease as a chronic disease for just treating with medicines and not an anatomic disease it's going to be hard to get them on board anyway but i think uh, there's certain guys that do that i think you're right, like a university guys where gi and surgery can work together i've right? seen chang and nin win do that mm-hmm. i think pretty well and so but it, to get that combination you have to really tear down a lot of fences and a lot of financial disincentives to get that working yeah i mean you're, that's, you're t- part of, that's part of the problem with healthcare today
0: yeah, it's a, it's a Don Quixote thing, right? I mean, you just, you keep charging the damn windmills and then they, they just keep beating you down. It just doesn't, it, yeah. So, yeah, but, so your approach is good. I, I, I like the idea of kind of establishing my own thing. The problem is, and here at least and maybe it's different in a slightly smaller town, maybe not, is I could do that, but the more I do that, now I've planted a gigantic flag and a huge target on my back and any GI doc that would send me gallbladders or colons or other procedures kind of stopped doing so
1: <laughs> and uh, yes yeah, so that's that's always the threat and i sat there in that room with them and that's what they say they're gonna do and uh as it turns out i just said there's only one of me and there's you know like 40 of you guys in town so we'll see how it works out and it, it worked out well i mean i uh you know if you're gonna if you're gonna want a tiff i'm the only one guy in town doing it and I'm only really one guy that really does all, you know, kind of different models of doing reflux and, and working you up appropriately and seeing where you go. If it's, if you're the only one doing that, they'll find you, they'll come to you. So I I think, uh, you know, they kind of still have their thing, but if it, in my community, it's mostly, they just are interested in giving pills, 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 and, You know, the data is kind of starting to come out on that is that, you know, this isn't necessarily a great idea to give patients PPI's forever. Uh, So um, I kind of was fortunate uh, to stick with it and, and I partnered with a hospital. I mean, all this technology is extremely expensive. Uh, most of the GI guys are not really associated with a hospital, right? So they're basically in their own centers, have their own things. So, you yeah, know, plopping down, plopping down all this money for endo flip or for, you know, a whole bunch of Bravos uh, and all this stuff. It's it's fairly expensive. And, and so it cuts out of their profit margins. So they're not interested in doing it so much. So again, um I understand your frustration as I was thinking the same thing. But then as I went my own way, I think uh, I, I like looking at even if they had a scope six weeks ago, I want to take a look at it myself, generally speaking, and, and see what we have before I, I go do a yeah. You know, oh, that,
0: no there's a ton of logic but I mean I want to know what I want to know what their esophagitis status is more than anything if I'm going to scope them right and so yeah on the ones that I don't scope beforehand we have that conversation and you mentioned it but just to reiterate like I, I tell them there's a small chance that we get in there and if your esophagus is too beat up you know this won't be a thing that we need to do and then we'll have to biopsy and kind of come back you know or and I give them the choice I believe in patient choice if you'd rather just get scoped beforehand then we can do a separate procedure and uh, you yeah, know 20 to 30% say, well, I'd like to get scope first. <laughs> Fine. No problem. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, I, I like to see that too. So yeah, we, that's, that's important.
1: We um, do your own scopes, right? On okay. those. Yeah. Yeah yeah,
0: okay. yeah. yeah, No, I, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, you, you talked about, I think you said you had a partner scoping for you at first.
1: Yeah. When we did the tips.
0: Yeah. Who's, who scopes for you now?
1: Now my tech. Yeah, <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah, he sees sure. something good. <laughs> but like we can do this. Like we don't even talk to each other. We know exactly what oh, we're yeah. doing. Where it's going. It's just beautiful.
0: So over the years, uh, so I was with a group, and then I decided it might be a good idea to be an employed physician for a little while. Don't do that; it's a bad idea. Um, yep. And now I'm with uh, now I'm sort of in a, a small group, two man partnership kind of thing. Uh, and then we have a we have a new surgeon that just joined, and uh, it's kind of funny. So over the years, doing this ten years, uh, initially I did it with the GI guys, and that was sort of my. Hey, here's here's the 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 olive, the the olive branch across the aisle, if you will, of like, hey, I'll do this. Procedure, but you can do the scope and you can, you know, you can do an EGD or whatever. And so they did that for a couple bits. So I had a GI doc down there. Um, the problem with that is that like he was got bored because it, you know, especially the first ones that took an hour and a half, he's like, I, I can't sit here for an hour and a half, I, I can do four scopes then. So, you know, I gotta, I gotta,
1: I, yeah, exactly yeah, right.
0: I got a jet. So then, um, then I, so I lost him. And then we at that group, we'd had another new partner. So then I had my partner scope for me, and then she did a great job. Uh, we got to the point pretty quickly where it was just. It was it was a dance, so that was cool. Um, and then she kind of moved on. I got busy doing her own thing. So then I I did them with. Whichever tech was available, whichever scrub tech was there, just, you know, putting the scope down, locking it myself wow. and then just twist it left and right. And, you know, it got to the point I could train anyone to kind of just move the scope around. And then uh, I'm fortunate now uh, we have a PA and so she's been doing it with me now for about a uh, about a year and she's gotten really good, just like you're saying. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of done them with everyone from GI to surgeons, techs, now PAs. So, uh, yeah, uh, interesting. and
1: <laughs> I have a tech that is uh, done most... Of these with me now, and he's just magic with the thing. I mean, it's just yeah, so I don't do what's with unless he's there. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've always wanted to like record myself doing them because I, I've, I got these like hand motions, I'm sure you probably do too. Um, uh, and if you got someone, he may just know what you're doing next, but it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like a little, still a little bit of a song and dance, it's kind of funny. Um, okay, so are you at the point where you still watch them overnight, or do you send them home yet?
1: No, I send them home. Uh, especially when I'm doing them in the morning. It depends. Like, my schedule's gotten to be I do so much endoscopy now. It's like I don't get to my tips and things until later in the afternoon. So, my morning's full of all this endo and working the patients up uh-huh. or following them up. And then I do the tips in the afternoon. But generally, uh, you know, it's a little bit prolonged recovery. I will send them up to the floor, but uh, the nurses are real good. Once they meet criteria, they can go home. It's usually within four to six hours. Well, I don't. I don't get up for GI's the next day or anything mm, like that.
0: No, no, no. I mean, I'm just looking for tachycardia. Um,
1: yeah, uh, interesting. I
0: wonder how many could go. How many have to stay? Like a, so, the ones that you plan on uh, going home. How many stay? Do you think?
1: It kind of depends on that hiatal hernia, right? So they get that left shoulder pain, pain, and it can be fairly sharp. It seems like it goes away after four to six hours. Uh, so basically, if they're taking liquids well, their pain medicines, or the oral pain meds, holding them, and uh, they're up walking and otherwise doing well, they can go home uh, that day. So, and they all do pretty well. I think I maybe had one or two that had to come back, but it's really rare.
0: No, I like it. I like it. I think um, I think. obviously you know, something, if you're worried about bleeding, if you have a, every now and then the liver retractor causes a little bit of liver bleeding, and you want to watch them or whatever, but um, sure. yeah, like, wow. I so, yeah, it's funny. Sometimes I embrace technology and sometimes I'm old.
1: <laughs> and, I hear you. I'm, I'm the same way.
0: Yeah. Like there's certain things. It's like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to try that. And, uh, I mean, we're, our practice is really focused. We're doing a lot of robotics surgery now. We're doing, um, acute care robotics. Uh, so something I spoke with Dr. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, and this took a year, no, two years, uh, pestering the hospital to get 24-7 robotic coverage. So, if you get a peripheral ulcer in the middle of the night, we repair that robotically right now, which is amazing. Um, and so, small bowel obstructions, we're kind of doing as much as we can. Uh, so, that's been pretty fun. So, yeah, we're embracing technology, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, ooh, send them home the next day. I don't know. <laughs>
1: uh, maybe uh, you know, the COVID and stuff is like getting people out of the hospital is the, the thing, right? I mean...
0: There's, yeah, there's think, definitely been more incentive from the patient lately
1: of getting home. Yeah, if are generally otherwise healthy and, and, you know, reliable patients. I mean, if something goes wrong, they'll they'll figure it out pretty quick. I mean, uh, I, you know, bleeding after a tip is pretty rare. I, I just, you yeah. know, just don't, know, in I just don't see it. in one. Yeah, I mean, it's usually mm-hmm. the surgical part, right? It's doing the hernia repair. You get something going, but... Oh, uh, uh, no, so I,
0: actually, I had a guy that... Uh, didn't tell me that he didn't take his blood thinners, or that he didn't stop his blood thinners.
1: There you go. Yeah. yeah.
0: So um, uh, he actually did fine. We did, we scoped him, but uh, he didn't require any intervention. He just stopped when the blood thinner wore off. Um, but he got a couple units of blood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. They they declare pretty quickly. I, I think you're right about that. And, and frankly, even the the one I've had one case that uh, unfortunately did, did develop a, a bit of an infection that required a second surgery. Uh, but that case didn't present for three days anyway. Yeah. Um, I follow
1: them pretty closely. They, you know, they get my call service number. So if they have any questions, any problems, they'll call me. I keep my tips pretty close. Like I said, no one else in the area does it. Uh, so I don't want them showing up in another hospital or anything like that where, you know, no one knows what's going on. So I, you know, it's really important that, you know, they go to hospitals that I'm working at, and that they call my call service and get in touch with me if there's any issues.
0: And I think it's also important that the other uh, the other hospitals know to call you too. And I've had I've yeah, had good about it. Yeah, because the, uh, they don't want to deal with it. And then yeah, so it's just it's just easier because patients <laughs> they're crazy sometimes. <laughs> We've got a lot, of them, but they'll go they'll just go whoever's closest or you know so and so had a good experience over here, so I'll go over there, whatever. Um, but you know, just for the patients that might be listening, if you you are being cared for by the surgeon by all means go back if you have any issues go back to the hospital where they are working <laughs> that's a big message that, that might go into my frustrations episodes I've been thinking about doing <laughs> because uh, believe me at least for me and, and and I think for Dr. Murray as well if we've taken care of you we want to continue to take care of you and we feel responsible to you beholden to you even if you will and so yeah we care about you and having someone else get into our pot
1: is not a good idea. <laughs> so yeah, having been uh, inside you and we, we know how the surgery went. So there are certain things we may be worried about. So it's, it's you know, it's yeah. good for us to be involved. Certainly.
0: Yeah. And that would that would pretty much go for any surgery, any surgeon, any place in the country. So okay. yeah, that's a, a public service for everyone. There you go. The more, you know, big star comes across here with the trails. All right. <laughs> so, um, let's see, I think, uh, talked about now you've done 400 where do you think it's going next what, what, what's next for uh, reflux
1: I, it's hard to say right so, I mean I've seen some of these uh, I think almost everything in foregut going to go endoluminal I mean you talk about uh, doing a robotic uh, operation in a knife or a perfect ulcer I, I Generally, scope these persons first and try to put an endoscopic uh, over-the-scope clip on them from the inside. Mm -hmm. Then, if 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 they're not too contaminated, I'll watch them with that. If uh, they are, I'll put a you know just two five millimeter ports in, just wash them out and. Be done. So I, I think these uh, new resectional therapies and endoscopic therapies are, will take over perforations, ulcer disease. Um, I think TIF will iterate further. I think it'll get better. Uh, can you fix a hiatal hernia uh, through the <laughs> through the stomach? There's a Inuway right over in Japan. I think has a video of him doing that. Uh, so I, I think. As you bring, as you talk about robotics, I think that technology will be brought into the endoluminal field. You'll have more capabilities. And the question is, is whether you'll actually be, you know, doing very much. Uh, I mean, just tumors uh, can be resected now with some of these full thickness devices or endoluminal approaches, uh, ESD, and other things. So, I'm trying to push uh, my skill set that way. Uh, mostly endoluminal things uh, there's, I think there's always going to be need for surgeons but I get nervous uh, as a surgeon that uh, we're going to lose a lot of that and how many times have you seen this picture happen I mean look at how vascular went yeah. it's all endoluminal look how cardiothoracics went they're doing valves but you I mean when you started training you ever think someone could put a aortic valve in through a femoral artery it's amazing no, and that, so I, there's no reason why it's not going to happen in the in the GI tract as well and foregut's guts just, just easier to get the stuff there When
0: I started, so I finished my residency in, uh, well, let's see, 2004, and I literally was there to watch, as my intern year when we did cardiothoracic surgery, those guys were doing three cabbages a day. Right. Exactly. And in my third year, so we do, we did it twice. We did once in our first year and once in our third year, the first year was just like a month. And then the third year you did like a three or four month thing. And by the time I was a third year, they were doing like one. By the time mm-hmm. I was a chief, when I kind of wanted to come over and you know do a little this or that or you know kind of help them with some stuff, we weren't really on the service, but you know chiefs you can move around a little bit. They uh, they were at the point where they were doing one cabbage of the team. There was four of them, so it used to be there was four, you know it was like twelve cabbages a day. Then it was four, and then it became they were all doing one. A partner would assist someone, and then one of the other partners would grab the vein. So, you got three cardiothoracic surgeons working on the one patients. Like, oh my goodness. I mean, this, is, this has changed. You know, the. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it just became, you know, they were only doing the like severe multi vessel disease stuff. That single jump cabbage stuff just didn't exist. Um, likewise with vascular. Vascular endoluminal therapies were just starting. They were gigantic incisions and big devices and blocked off the whole room and open sets ready to go just in case and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, now it's relatively routine stuff. And they even God, I mean, you weren't allowed to put a stent below the groin, if I remember correctly. I mean, there was no stents below the groin. Uh It was all fem pop. And, you know, I can't remember how many fem pops I did as a chief. And yeah. So I, when did you finish residency?
1: Oh God. In the nineties, like ninety six was it? Like, yeah, something like that. Right, so you've gotten by eight years. So
0: you were in so I kinda of witnessed some of it, you were there practicing for some of it.
1: Yeah. So, I, like really? I said, it was, uh, and, you know, those, this those cardiothoracic guys ran, ran the hospital and it was, oh my God. Uh, it was amazing to watch that just disappear, but it's so much better for the patients. Right. You, you yeah. talk about doing yeah. things into It's just so much better. And it is, it is part of MIS. And, and so I'm, I'm getting nervous that, you know, in my town, I'm there's like two surgeons that do endo, which is, terrible <laughs> so and so I, you know there's uh, another one that wants to come on and i'm, I'm kind of teaching them things and stuff but they really have to maintain that endoscopic skill set if, if they want to do forget them I, mean, I think i don't know if you do bariatrics but they're doing yeah, these endoscopic yeah. sleeves bariatrics is going to go that way i think a whole lot of stuff uh, is going to disappear from the Surgeons so then, aren't the
0: So the lesson is to I mean, at least in our market in Dallas, the lesson is to be more like the vascular surgeons because they were able they saw the riding on the raw, maybe just because they're it happened a little bit after the cardiothoracic guys, they just kind of took it all in and most vascular surgeons that I know anyway do all the endoluminal stuff. They're the ones That's doing right. the stentin. There's some cardiologists that have kind of creeped in a little bit and will do a little here and there, but for the most part, at least around uh, not as much here. I've have seen that in other parts of the country, um, but not as much here. And so that's that's, a, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that. Um,
1: it's a spectrum of. of I yeah. tell patients that you know it's you know you know some of these. I'm just, doing some of these full thickness resection section devices on these kind of, these big, huge polyps I used to take off, and I got like two next week. And I just tell them, you know, for, as a surgeon, if, if something goes wrong, I can't get it. I, we just move up to a laparoscopic approach. It's just, I, I just go to the next level. And I'm interested in doing G poem for gastroparesis. And so you know, I'm gonna try and learn that technique. And, and so you can see almost everything we do anymore. You know, you used to do heller myotomies, now you have poem. A GI guy can just do it from the inside. You used yeah. to do pyloroplasties. You can do a jeep home. you Used to do the resections of these GISTs and everything. They can they can do these with these. Right, endoscopic full full
0: section. I've done two pyloroplasties <laughs> in the last two weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you still need to do them, right? Yeah. I mean, I said, you know. So, but they're they're, they're going to go away. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just the nature of the 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 beast. And you know, the technology will get better to do it. Someone will come up with a device like a TIFF that does it for you in two seconds and. You know surgeons going to be sitting around on his hands i'm, I'm amazed at the technology uh, and the companies coming forward and you know, just not like endogastrics but um, like this Ovesco company in germany is making these new uh devices i mean it's 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 amazing the uh technology that you know, robotics companies i think are going to get get involved so it's a it's a good time It'd be, be yeah. Anyway, uh, before got certainly.
0: I think the the lesson is, and I, God, I remember this in residency. I, I wish I could remember who told me. It's, maybe it's just one of those things that people say: it's like, never be first, but by all means, don't be last. Uh, I think be ready to be open minded and embrace things that become new. And uh, yeah, I think that's
1: changed. You were you're one of the first guys on TIFF though, right? So I mean, I think yeah. Being, but we want to you you can be a leader, right? So you can kind of get ahead of the curve. You kind of look around the corner and you see it coming. Yeah. Uh, now you get 200 under your belt. I have 400 and some. And so it's like now that someone wants to do a, a TIF, it's, it's hard to, you, you've you kind of got that market sewn up where you are generally because you have the most experience. And so I think you have to continue that as a surgeon. I see some of these younger surgeons come out. They, you know, they kind of, think that's it. And it's it's not, you got on a robot and that's it, but that's not really where things should go. And I think robotics is, is key to general surgery. But I think if you wanna do foregut uh, surgery, you're gonna really have to embrace the endoluminal stuff that's coming out.
0: Yeah, no, I think you'll get there. I think, you know, the small intestine for a long time is going to end up remaining general surgery point of view um, there's just not there's not a whole lot of small specific small well, intestine disease yeah, so right, really
1: it depends on so if you want to do an elective practice right, right? so like you want to have a line as a foregut surgeon, you're, you're, I'm doing a lot of endoscopy and luminal mm-hmm. stuff. It's just the way it is. Uh, otherwise, uh, there's a lot of surgeons that end up, you know, just waiting for the ER to call them with, the, like you said, small bowel obstruction, so There'll always be those guys that you know, you'll always be needed as a surgeon. Some gallbladder, sure. middle of the night, some incarcerated hernia, whatever. Whatever. Uh, but I, I like to have, I like to just go in and do a line of surgery. I love those days where right? I just get in there. It's like I have all day of just book. Surgeries, and that's, I enjoy that much more than call as I get older. (laughs) You'll see, (laughs) trust me.
0: Oh, hey, man. uh, I, turned, I, I turned 15 in like a year and a half, so yeah, I, believe me, I know, and uh, having done a lot of call in my day, I, uh, there are still things I, uh, I enjoy doing on call, uh, we I covered a tiny bit of trauma at one house, but we actually had a gunshot oh, yeah. wound I took care of the other day, and uh, the, 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 the place where we had is like a level three trauma, so gunshots don't usually get transferred here, but you know, his friends dropped him off, and uh, yeah, yeah, super Super nice friends so yeah that was kind of fun i mean i hadn't done that in a while so yeah i mean i think that's what i like about okay. surgeries
1: i still take calls but uh more and more it's like you know, it just yeah. adds more misery to my life you know if you have really a book day and then you take call and then it's just instead of going home at five go home at seven or eight yeah. dealing with what I last night so no I,
0: th- I think that's the goal i think the goal is to find something that is something that you can do something where you can develop a, a niche if you will and then as as People need that. Then you can sort of fill up your day that, and call becomes something for the uh, for the young.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I think that's
0: every general surgeon's goal, and it's uh, more achievable for some and less for others, depending on kind of where you're at. So, very interesting. I I like uh, I like where some of the things you got the endoscopic stuff. I, it's a thing that I hadn't thought. Part of the reason I like the show is I get to learn, right? I get to meet people and kind of see new ideas. And just talking about stuff like that is is fascinating to me because, you know, yeah, I know know there's new things coming out, but it never occurred to me that maybe we as surgeons should be thinking about doing some of the stuff, especially as becomes more resection oriented so that's something that we need to kind of be thinking about I like it I, you know when I asked the question you know what's next I, you know specifically with reflux I was kind of thinking more along the lines of you know like it seems like we've got the wrap sort of figured out because to me you know the tiff can be augmented it can be improved upon you know the device can get a little bit better you know and then the company's doing that kind of thing but as we've gotten the wrap in my mind where it's not too tight seems to work it's better you know, it's better than a nissan. You know, it's not, you know, you don't get dysphagia. You don't get the gas bloat. Um, and so I think we've got the wrap part right. For me, like, I got to figure out how to keep that hyal hernia from recurring, right? Like, to oh, me, yeah. that's where the next part of reflux goes. Because if you talk about, um, you know, hial hernias... Back in the day, historically, the recurrence rate is between 30 and 40 percent when we just use sutures. Um, I think people have gotten better. Um, I think a lot of the recurrences that we used to see in the early 90s as laparoscopy laparoscopic was getting going was lack of experience. Um, and then then as we get more experience, I think we're getting a lot better of it. And some people use robotics. Um, I tend to be pretty uh, pro mesh and I like to use mesh. I think the recurrence rate is lower, although I don't think I've seen that in the literature, at least I haven't yet. So. Um, yeah, how do we get well, that? You want to
1: find huh? you'll find literature. So you'll find literature to support mesh and literature to not support mesh. So. Yeah, no, so you can, I meant, find, you can fit whatever you want into your practice. I mean,
0: definitively, definitively, something. Yeah, you know. Nothing
1: so definitive. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, we've seen it I, I think you're right. So I, I think, uh, it's, it's, my look at reflux is. Um, you know, just if you look at the demographics, there's so many people with this. broke up for a second.
0: So many people with what?
1: With with GERD and Heidel- yeah, hernias, yeah. right? Yeah. And like 20% of the population. So, I mean, one of the interesting things about GERD to me was we do everything the opposite of how we were trained in surgery, right? So if you look at hiatal hernias. Can you tell me any other hernia of the abdominal cavity that we just give pills on and just hopefully you don't feel it? I mean, if you have an inguinal hernia, do we watch that get bigger? Yeah, if you have a ventral hernia, a hernia, a petite hernia, these all get referred to a surgeon and we fix them. I mean, I could definitely put a lidocaine patch on your inguinal hernia and we can watch it get larger. And then if I fixed it when it was four centimeters, five centimeters, you're probably, your outcome will be a lot worse, right? The tissue's worse. I'm working with you know, you know, bowel in there and everything else. And so I think that amazed me about reflux. It amazed me that, you know, Barrett's esophagus, which is a kind of a pre malignant condition, we just biopsy it every three years. I mean, DCIS of the breast, what do you do? You take it out. Melanotic nevus, you remove it. Um, you know, you have intraepithelial neoplasia cervix, it gets removed. But Barrett's, we just watch. And then you wonder why esophageal cancer is number one rising cancer in America. Right. So we do everything yeah. different uh, than the training. In right. Yeah, in reflux disease. And so I think you know, if you want to get better outcomes, we have to get to the hernias faster. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> for the GI guys, right? So you, if you see a three <laughs> centimeter, four centimeter hernia. You should be done with pills, is, is my impression of where to go with this. And so, hopefully it'll get to that point. I just don't think we should wait towards we're seeing five, six centimeter hernias. I think we should get to these things with two-stitch hernia and a tiff, and you're done.
0: Here's my problem. Here's what I think the issue is, right? We have something that's called the lower esophageal sphincter, okay? Um, that, this is maybe my opinion, maybe you share it that doesn't exist. The lower esophageal sphincter, at least in kind of the way I think about it, is a pressure change that we see on manometry that we can see that, at least in my mind's eye, represents the change of pressure that you see from the chest to the abdomen when you're in the esophagus. So the positive pressure that you see in the abdomen as the, you see the intra abdominal esophagus, that changes. So you see a spike in pressure and we call it the lower esophageal sphincter. This is my take on it, right? And so there is no sphincter there, right? There's no muscle that contracts. There's no pylorus. There's no anal sphincter. There's no thing that turns, uh, closes or opens, right? And so we sort of describe it in a way that isn't, in my opinion, accurate to what it is, which is an anatomical relationship. The lower esophageal sphincter is, and again, this is Dr. Cottrell speaking, so I don't want (laughs) to speak for everyone else, it's a change in pressure that we're seeing and what causes that change of pressure it's the change in pressure as the esophagus enters the abdomen and if you don't restore that anatomical relationship whether it's with a with a small hernia that you can easily do with a TIF or with an actual hiatal hernia repair and and a and a hybrid procedure you're not going to affect change so because we describe it in a way that doesn't exist we treat it in a way that is inappropriate and i think our description is just wrong and that I don't like yeah, it. I think it, it exists.
1: <laughs> There's a high pressure zone in the esophagus, and right. you put a, you know, endo flip down, you'll see that. But it's an amalgam of many things, like you said. It's not just right. it's not just one thing. It's it's you know your hiatus. How's how's that interacting with your phrenoesophageal ligament, yep. the flat valve? It is a very complex and dynamic area. Right. And that's one thing I've learned about reflux is the more you dive into it, and more you peel back the onion. God, it's remarkably complex. <laughs> and it's just, and that's one of the reasons where it's like, something's that complex. You ought to have a lighter touch. You know, that's, that's why I like TIFF as opposed to, Nissan burns a lot of bridges. I'm not a Lynx guy. I don't think you should put a big, you know, metal bracelet around the thing. Uh, you know, we can talk about links for a little bit, you know, they show this picture of esophagus that it looks like a boa constrictor that just ate a rabbit. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't really work like that, it's just this pressure wave, yeah, and yeah. it's like, so I don't think the esophagus worked, I think just the premise of that thing was it was kind of bizarre. Well, so, how many, how many I, times have we
0: decided that putting a foreign body around the stomach or the esophagus is a good idea? Yeah right.
1: I mean, oh. you're not as old well as I, but I, I've taken out a whole bunch of uh, angel chicks. Oh yeah, so. yeah. I took out I one. To, yeah, I don't want to take out any more <laughs> <Right. laughs> links. Is a road of links. I just think, look, it's a dynamic area. It's it's very hard to understand. Uh, the stomach's very accommodative. Uh, I tell people that you know the valve that I give you could fail just like the one that God gave you could fail. Right. It's True. just you know basically. Uh, you know, these things wear out over time, but if I can get back into scope and tighten it up for you, then, then so be it. But I think that's it's like I said, it, it's remarkably complex. And when things are that complex, I, I think surgeons should, uh, you know, instead of take a more radical approach, just take a lighter, lighter approach. And that's what I like about TIP. It's generally... Uh, it's well tolerated, it's got a really low adverse event ratio, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really just, and it's it's basically a two seventy two eighty degree wrap. and the more you study these people, the more you realize almost everyone should get a 270 degree wrap, not a 360.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think 360 became kind of the norm laparoscopically just because it's a lot easier than, three stitches
1: is easier than six. You know, Oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah exactly, a uh, Nissan is easier to create. And that's the thing about TIFF, you know, it's a, you know there, there's too much art, artistry uh, involved in Nissan's. It takes a real long time. Like you're talking about a TIFF to master, in, you know, 30 in your master. I mean, but you think about Nissan, how many of those you have to do to really master it. I did one the other day. It's, it's, it was really tough to construct. I don't know why. Uh, it just, yeah, yeah, I just didn't like the way it looked. I had to redo it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah. it's, just, it's just one of those things where you know it, it takes a really long time to get good at doing this. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah. No. No. It's. Uh Yeah, even when you use a dilator, you know, you put the dilator down there and you can stretch it around there. But then, as soon as you let it go, if it's not right, it's twisting it and it's causing every bit as much. I don't don't
1: find that helps me. So, Uh, so yeah, I, I think you know. I looked for reasons not to do Nissans, right? So I mean, I think Nissan should be your first operation for reflux, and, and maybe it should be your last. But uh, uh, no, I think I, I'd the, like to see I like to see the process go to where we're dealing with this disease at an earlier state yes. from a surgical point. Right? I mean, yeah. how many times are you do an hernia? It's all in a scrotum. It's, I mean, it's it's a pain in the neck to do that. And, yeah. and so, versus hernias that are five it's like, centimeters, it's hard. And
0: those, but versus those small small ones that are very, very quick, very easy, less painful, less complications, less problems with testicular, you know, swelling and loss exactly. of this, all that stuff. Same thing applies, right? You're a lot less likely to have a bad outcome with a surgery, a heidel hernia surgery when it's fresh or not fresh, uh, small, early, and you're not having to do as much dissection. So it's that earlier, lighter touch kind of thing. I really like the way you said that lighter touch. I'm gonna start using that, sorry. <laughs> but, um, wow, that's cool. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, there's, I'm always interested. I love how things go, right? Because when I remember with robotics, for example, when uh, I was actually the naysayer in my group when it sort of happened, my partners were like, hey, we should do this. And I was like, why? why. I'm super good. I'm super fast, blah, blah, blah. It's a dumb idea. And then I sat down and was like, oh, got it. I see. And it wasn't quite that fast with TIFF it was you know you know the five or ten cases but then when the patients came back doing well so much better and you know when i did a lot of Nissans, you know most of them went pretty well and i, I did them well i think but at the same time it, it took them a while to get them on to regular food and I, you know a couple of patients it was like six months you know and when i saw these these tiff patients that were it's like almost uniformly six to eight weeks uh, you know you, you start you got to be open-minded i think that's if i was if i was to kind of put the show notes together for today i'd be like open-minded is kind of a big Deal um, with some no, we no. talked yeah, about.
1: Yeah. It's the era of personalized medicine. You're going to take a look at the organism in front of you and their problems are kind of different They're, what their expectations are and you have to tailor your approach to that. You have to tailor your approach to what the, the findings are in endoscopy and what your studies are and, and what the patient's expectations are and kind of give them kind of a personalized surgical approach to the disease. After all, it's not an extirpative surgery. That's another thing that's interesting about it. It's not like, hey, I took your gallbladder out you're all better. This is a reconstructive surgery, right? And it's, right. it's rare that surgeons kind of really do reconstructive surgery and so you know, I kind of look at how the orthopods, uh, their satisfaction rate for like a knee replacement is 85%. So I think, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, And that's a reconstructive surgery. Uh, It is an implant, of course, but I think that's kind of what we need to be angling for from a, from a GERD standpoint and a GERD surgery. You should have 85% that are really happy. If you have people with dysphagia and gas bloat, you're not going to reach that goal. And people are not going to end up with a surgical approach to their GERD. Do you track that? I do, yes. I, I, I follow all my own patients. I, once they come to me, with, so since I kind of got into this kind of piss and match with GIs, if, if I see a patient, I, I will follow them. I follow their Barrett's, I do EMR's, I follow them. Uh, I usually get six months data on my patients. I always do a pH test and I follow them years out. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I do these Gert Hercules on everybody. I you know. Everyone that comes back after after this is six months is filling it out. Mm-hmm. I kind of do a pH test again to see where, to see how good of a response they got. So uh, you have to kind of make sure you're following them. I think that's another thing about GERD surgery that you know you come to a surgeon from a GI, he'd do a Nissen on you, you complain of dysphagia, you'd say, go back to that guy. And then <laughs> after that, th- those are tough cases. So, so you have to follow your own yeah. dysphagias and have to treat them patients. I mean, that's, it's working. It's an inguidinia, Having a patient with dysphagia after, after a trident or an anti-reflux surgery, and so you definitely try not to create them if they're coming back to you, because okay. uh, dilating doesn't generally work, and you really have to go back and generally and reconstruct the, the reflux. Right, so there's something went wrong almost always technically. So. I think, you know, for me, uh, I like to follow them. I like to see what my results are. So I don't like to lose them too much. So I keep them real close, all the TIP patients and my GERD patients.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great lesson because I do that. I don't think I'm doing as good a job as you. Actually, I think I need to maybe be a little more aggressive about that. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. Uh, they are. I always. I do tell them at the end. I was like, you know, listen, you're mine. <laughs> if you have problems, if you yeah. have reflux, you come to see me, uh, and then we will uh, we will kind of sort through it and work through it as we
1: need to. Uh, and Generally, I, I think they do. You know, I think they like. Think kinda, generally, like I said, they come up for the six month one. But if they're doing really good, you won't see them back. They'll be like, ah, it's, it's a hassle. One, I'm, I'm feeling great. Why should I go see that guy? Great. <laughs> so. Oh, that's right. yeah. the various patients will come back to me uh, because sure, the, sure. you're on them but uh, other patients they do well they kind of tend to blow out But well it's like um, the
0: difference between sleeves and bands if you do bariatrics at all the uh, you know sleeves patients it's kind of hard to get them back in sometimes uh, yeah. after about mm, yeah, I can usually keep them for about six to eight months and then, then they go away so and that's
1: fine <laughs> I've gotten into bariatrics I just wanted to stay away from that and so kind of stick to reflux and you know, motility before God. I got to do some resectional stuff so it's uh, I, I that's do. A, that's a whole different world, really.
0: It is. I do it differently, right? I will never and do not want to ever be that practice where that's it. Um, I've seen those practice. There've been some very high profile ones here that have had problems. And, you know, frankly, I don't want to do that. I don't want to run a factory. I don't want to do that. For me, it evolved where we had patients that we liked, we trusted, they liked us, they asked us if we did it. And then we kept having to refer them elsewhere. And that's kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, I did a ton of these in residency. Like, why am I sending these on? And so then on a very limited basis with very select patients, uh, we do them and uh, frankly I make them do all their own work like I, I don't have people in my office that do the psych stuff I don't have nutritionists in my mm-hmm. office yeah. they got to go find them and I, it's, it's, actually it's a really good screening test because if they aren't willing to do that and do that on their own then they're not going to do well anyway and they, they just kind of go away and so it self-selects yeah. and so I, you know for me that, that approach is kind of worked. and I end up doing a, you know a couple a year and I do enough upper GI work you know being foregut type surgeon as yourself I, I'm just, I still feel comfortable doing them, uh, you know, the those publishing studies where they talk about the, you know, only the uh, the people who do a ton of them are okay at doing them. I think is a little bit hogwash for a sleeve because I mean, as long as you're really comfortable with the RPGI yeah, it, exactly. it's, I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's,
1: it's always uh, they're always uh, telling you you can't do anything electively, but when they show up in the ER with hmm. perforations or other complications, you're definitely the guy that can deal with that, even though you're not a bariatric guy. That's what I love about them. Yes,
0: yeah, <laughs> definitely. Although we have enough in Dallas that those. There's actually, at most hospitals, there's bariatric call, believe it or not. Okay, yeah, yeah, but, well, I mean, Dallas is huge, right? I mean, um, so those guys, it's almost the opposite here. Those guys are kind of fighting, scrimping uh, to get the patients, so it's difficult. But yeah, yeah, I do it very, very selectively, but I like to keep in it just because it is foregut surgery, and I love foregut surgery. I remember one of my mentors was like, never, ever miss an opportunity to sew on the stomach. It's fun, it heals well, and patients do great. Yeah. Maybe we'll. No doubt. Maybe we'll. So I think
1: like I said it's one of those things where you want to do foregut. It's like most uh, guys that do MIS surgery fellowships uh, pretty, pretty much have no choice but to come out and do, uh, you know, bariatrics uh, to keep their foregut stuff up. So I, I'm hoping I, I've gotten a lot of. Uh, you know, hiatal hernia work and parasophageals and upper GI work uh, just on my own endo- endoscopy, I di- diagnose my own, uh, you know, just tumors and things. So uh, if you're doing your own diagnostics, I, I, my practice is kind of strange. I have like a GI diagnostic practice, a GI therapeutic practice, and then a surgical therapeutic practice. And like I said, I kind of consider it a spectrum of yeah. uh, moving one to the next. So Yeah,
0: but you positioned yourself in a way that like, you know, if things kind of go more robotic and that sort of advances you're right there if things become much more endoscopic like you're predicting which seems very valid you're right there you know i mean so it's, it's a good position to be in for yourself I man i mean it's i'm kind of envious now and i gotta start doing some research so uh, i like it well listen man i am gonna have to call this here because otherwise uh, you wouldn't believe how much you end up you know, there's extra for going over a certain amount of time on these things, okay. <laughs> uh, the economics of podcasting, as I learn. Uh, but it's been a great pleasure. And I, I appreciate taking your time. And uh, we can do this again sometime. If, anytime you want to talk about anything, you're more than welcome.
1: Hey, that'd be great. I had a, I had a good time. enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's fun to talk to the people and kind of learn. I, I think In this is...
0: Yeah, this is a form where, you know, you learn things and, you know, you may not like everything I said, but yeah, something sticks and you're like, oh, wait a minute, you know, maybe in this patient, this, you know, and yeah. You know. And I've started, I've, I've taken a couple of things that I've learned and uh, started using them. So I think it's, this is a good thing and I'm hopeful that people, just, we get a bigger audience um, to, to help other people. So thank you very Charles, much. Cool. I appreciate it and uh, have a great day.
1: All right. You too, Chris. Thanks. Take, Take care. Take care.
0: Bye-bye. All right, this has been Dr. Chris, the surgery guy, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up. I want to thank again Dr. Murray for joining me today. We had a great discussion. Uh, I do, as always, want to reach out to Andrew at Approaching Nirvana for the intro and outro music and uh, some of the music you heard in the background. I appreciate the ability to use your music and your talent. Thank you very much.